Welcome to Tales from the Multiverse, where I, Gabe Sluice, will spend you stories from worlds parallel and beyond our own. Just like that, I'm back for a second season. I was not planning to restart the podcast anytime soon, as I've moved to the other side of the country, and I find myself busy like 13 hours of the day, but I just could not stay away. So I'm back, with a plan for 10 episodes in the season, all with a common theme. The selected short stories I'll be sharing with you will be a lead-up to a novel that I'm working on. Its tentative title is Behold the Interstice. I hope in reading these related stories, as well as the first three chapters of the work in progress, that it will motivate me to finish up this book, as it is long overdue. But who knows? So I'll start off today with a short story, The Library, which comes from my collection, Movement. In it, you will be reintroduced to the five worlds and the progress of the Star People. Hey listener, I'm glad you found your way back, and if you're new, I hope you enjoy. The Library Kyle Voont tapped his little feet up the marble steps of the library's main hall, heading for the upper stacks. The enormous building was silent, apart from the non-vocal noises created by stirrings of the scant occupants. Kyle ran his hand along the dark wood railing as he wound around the sweeping staircase, a rule his grandfather insisted upon whenever he took the stairs. At the top landing, behind a reference desk, sat a tall, skinny assistant librarian. This was Joni. Kyle attempted to slip past the woman, who was 12 years older than him, and bothered Kyle every time he came for his weekly lessons. She looked up from her desk, just in time to catch the schoolboy slipping past. Hey there, Kyle! How are you, handsome guy? I'm fine, Miss Joni. Going to see your granddad, are you? Yep, just like every Friday. Well, I last saw him up in the special collection loft. I don't think he's in his office, Joni said, turning to her NSI to locate the head librarian. Don't worry about it. I know where he is waiting for me. Kyle scurried away from the overly involved woman before she could give him any further useless advice. He wound his way through the dark hardwood shelves of books, towering high over his head. The smell was comforting and familiar, one he would always associate with the time he spent with his grandfather. He couldn't help shuffling his feet on the short red carpet that marked the path into the depths of the forest of knowledge. He reached another staircase, this one much smaller, made of wood and rising steeply up into the special collection loft. Reaching the top step, the young boy found exactly what he was expecting. His grandfather, short and white-bearded, stood at the table in the middle of the loft, looking out the great window that filled the far wall. The other two walls held shelves upon shelves of books that reached to the top of the high ceiling. These books were his grandfather's favorite and most prized, rather than strictly the library's rare book collection. Most were from Earth, some from Sin, all having traveled many thousand light years from their point of origin. Kyle plodded over to the study table in the middle of the loft, dropped his book bag without care, and plopped down into a wooden straight-backed chair. He limply placed his arms extended out in front of him and awaited his grandfather's response. "'What have you been learning in school this week?' the librarian asked, remaining in place by the window. His grandfather often started out their lessons in this fashion. It became apparent to Kyle that his response usually guided the path of their conversation, mainly when his grandfather didn't have a specific lesson in store. Kyle thought about all the things he had been learning in the last week and brought up his favorite subject. We've been talking about the stellar geography for the five worlds, Grandfather. Yes, yes, a great starting place for your upcoming studies of the history of our worlds, he said to himself. 
Tell me about the five worlds and what you know of them. Well, Kyle began, swinging his legs under the heavy wooden desk. First, we learned about sin. And what about sin did you learn? Sin was the first garden planet humans migrated to from, uh, Kyle recited, searching his memory for a name. Earth. Humans came from a planet similar to Sin called Earth. Yeah, that's the one, the boy agreed. Sin has eight continents and four subcontinental islands. It has two moons and is the most populated planet in the five worlds. Alright, good, Kyle. Sin is the only world in its system, so where is next? Next to be colonized was Achilles system. That's right, librarian confirmed as he paced back and forth in front of the window. The Achilles system is an absolute remarkable place. Not only is it in quite close proximity to sin, but were you told why the system defies standard explanations? Well, is it because both the planets orbit the star the same as each other? Yes, the worlds share an identical orbit, situated exactly at each other's L3 points. What are the name of the twin worlds? Baileus and Xanthus, Kyle said proudly. And do you understand what makes them so improbable? Just that nobody thought they could have two habitable planets in one system? Kyle asked. Not quite. You see, by the way we understand the formations of star systems, the configuration of having two planets with identical compositions, mass, and opposing rotation, occupying the exact same orbital distance from the star, but 180 degrees apart, should never have come into reality. The way that planets form the stellar matter that clear their orbital path, this configuration is nearly impossible. Baileus and Xanthus have even continental plates, biological patterns, and elemental diversity that are nearly identical as well. It's as if the planets were placed there in perfect harmony, making us unimaginative humans collectively scratch our heads. A brief silence settled over the room as the older man paused and thought. But I thought you were telling me. What's next? This should be easy for you. Where we live, the Corin system, Kyle answered. There it is. Tell me about our system, the last to be inhabited. Well, first there's Yami. We are smaller than Sin and the others, he recited. We are tightly locked on the sun. All the cities are in the Akash band, so we don't freeze like at the far pole or burn up like on the close one. Kyle looked to his grandfather for approval and continued. Then there's Emba Major. It's the super gas giant we see faintly on the horizon. Emba Minor is its second largest moon, and it's a water world. How is Emba Minor able to sustain life, being so far from the star? How are people able to live there so that we can call it a human world? Emba's so hot that it keeps the oceans from freezing, since it doesn't always get sunlight. That's right, the librarian said to his grandson. Is that all they taught you about our system? Yeah, we have to read some really old stories about the first people on Sen. They were pretty neat. Well, our system is a bit larger than just us and Imba Minor, the librarian said, getting Kyle back on track. Imba Major has a few clusters of asteroids at its stable Lagrange points. The asteroids are mined for resources and shipped out all over the five worlds. Our system is the most diverse, since we have no garden worlds but so many places we have forced our way into and thrived. The hardiest of the star people often come from Corin. It was as if the pioneering spirit of the first people to reach Sin remained on the frontier, 
and is now on the edge here with us. Have you yet learned about Krios and the Star Crusades? Kyle sat still and shook his head. The older man turned from the red light of the window and placed his hands on the solid table. Just as he was about to speak, a white-haired young man ascended the steps to the special collection loft with a stack of books in his arms. He paused on the top landing, begged pardon for interrupting, and turned to go. Angus, no, please. I'm just tutoring my grandson on things his school fails to mention. Return those books to their place. It is no interruption. Thank you, sir. Angus here, the old librarian said, speaking to Kyle, is a new assistant to the library. You were a student of history at the university, yes? I am, sir, Angus replied. His pure, white, medium-length hair was combed backwards, tight to his skull. He wore simple black clothes that fit smartly, but had cuffs at the openings to attach to the type of thermal regulatory suits worn by the residents at the extreme ends of the Akesh band. I'm about to tell Kyle here about Krios and his reformation of the Five Worlds. I know you have read several of the books here in the library on that subject. You should stay and fill in the details I miss. As you wish. I will listen as I put these books back in their place. Angus here has something in common with the mighty Krios, the librarian began, sitting down at the table. Krios had purple eyes, which are very rare. Then again, Krios was not his real name, I believe. What was it? I cannot remember. It was rumored to be Azan, librarian, Angus said from the latter, placing a book back on the shelf. Thank you, thank you. See, a recently read student is always brilliant to have on hand. Well, Krios was born a slave here on Yami about 200 years ago. Not much is known about his young life until, suddenly, he nearly conquered the system. You see, the five worlds were in a much different shape than they are today. Good or bad, Krios rose out of slavery and changed the entire political and economic situation everywhere men walk. There had never been a central governing authority as the star people spread across the five worlds. Rich men and corporations claimed lands, space routes, and raised armies to enforce their values. That led places like the Corin system to be seen as lawless frontier, to be exploited by the affluent people of Sin. Krios threw off his bonds of slavery and rebelled against this lack of regulation. He wrote the five rules for five worlds? Kyle asked. Yes, yes, and that was just the end result of the Crusades of the Knights of Krios. It is not known if it was actually written by Krios himself or by one of his generals based upon his philosophies, but nonetheless, it is a result of Krios's will. But the best part of the story is not how a single man completely changed the face of the five worlds and the billions of beings living among them. It is how a single common slave boy rose to such power. How did he do it, Grandfather? Kyle asked, wrapped by the mention of such a legendary hero. He was an unbeatable fighter, small by most standards of soldiers. He was not thick or bulky, but he possessed a strength like no other man. What was it, Angus? How did he take his first ship? He was being sold to Imba Minor? That is the story as I read it, Angus replied as he finished putting away the last book. He leaned back against the bookcase with arms crossed and listened to the rest of the story. Yes, the story goes he was a good slave for his masters, but as soon as he got aboard a starship, he exploded like a bomb of rage, throwing the entire crew, minus the pilot, out of the airlock. 
The legend goes that his hands, feet, and eyes burned with a black light when he fought. They say no man could stop his rampage. He took the ship and fled to Imba Minor anyway. For the next three years, he terrorized the system like a pirate, taking any ship he could and building a fleet. This went on and on until affected corporations sent warships to destroy the band of rogue slaves and mercenaries that were loyal to Krios. But every time, Krios' forces were triumphant and grew in size. Then, one day, the entire attitude of his army changed. Krios specifically made himself known as the leader of this growing horde. He created the Knights of Krios and declared a holy crusade against the injustices and disorder of the five worlds. It was said that Krios himself would drift around his fleet, outside his armor, enforcing his rules and reputation. He would lead ground combat assaults and challenge any who opposed him to single combat. Famously, on Xanthus, he challenged a regional governor to produce his best fighter, that the victor of their personal combat would decide the fate of Krios's campaign there. Thinking that the stories were overinflated, the governor, a formerly talented gunslinger, agreed to fight the young man himself. Although an epic poem describing the duel was written, praising the valor of both combatants, revisionist accounts state that the fight was brutal and over in the blink of an eye. Fifteen years later, with a solid corps of knights at his back, Krios took Trout's city on Sen and declared the Crusades a success. He soon departed the system, leaving the knights to impose his will. He returned here to Yami, designing and supervising the building of his tomb in the hot zone of the Close Pole. And just as sudden as his rise had come, Krios, the mighty, reshaper of five worlds, disappeared into his tomb, never to be seen again. Like I said, that was nearly 200 years ago, but his legacy continues in the background of the way we live. There is still no central governance over the Star People. The Knights remain as an independent order of judges, enforcing the five rules for five worlds. Slavery no longer exists. There's an accountability when people try to oppress others. Children grow up with mandatory knowledge to keep them from ignorance. The worlds are a better place thanks to the cleansing storm that Krios brought in his wake. No one has ever gone to his tomb to see what happened to him? Kyle asked, wide-eyed. He is surely dead, the librarian said. He would be past 225. I doubt that he would have lived that long. Humans, despite all our attempts at genetic manipulation, just don't live that long. And what is more, no one dares to enter the tomb. Krios was so terrible, the stories of his rage and prowess keeps all away to this day. I want to go there! I want to see the tomb of Krios! There are pictures you can look at in this book here, the librarian said, rising from his seat and drawing a book off the shelf. No, I want to go into the hot zone and see it for myself one day. What good is reading about something in a book when I could go visit the real thing in person? The boy has a point, librarian, Angus said with a sly grin on his face. Books can only take you so far. There's rarely a better substitute for making use of your feet. Life is movement. Kyle grinned at the affirmation. The librarian threw up his hands in exaggerated exacerbation. Well then, that ends my history lesson. So much for me thinking these Friday lessons would instill in you a love for books. I guess I will just have to start grooming someone else as my replacement, he said with a wink. Now run along home and tell your parents hello for me. 
The old librarian ushered the boy out of his seat and down the stairs, shaking his finger at Angus. There is no better place in this library, my boy. Listen not to this purple-eyed devil. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, there it is. Season 2. First episode. The Library. It's in my short story collection movement, which you can find at any ebook retailer, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, and of course Smashwords. Leave a comment and a review. I'd love it. It's free. That's a good price, right? Next week's episode is going to be a short one. It's going to be from the same short story collection, if you want to check it out beforehand. To get a little backstory on it, you might want to read Arrow of Time, again one of the free ebooks. It's good, it's probably one of my best novels. Alright guys, until next week, you can find me on Twitter, at Gabe Sluice. It's where I tell all my best jokes. Alright, I'll see you guys then.